0: Hey everybody, I just wanted to pop in before this episode started and give you guys a heads up. Um, We had a little bit of technical difficulties for particularly my mic, (laughs) and uh, apparently it was trying to outsource to a different mic, and that's why it was sounding so weird. So I do apologize about the quality of this particular episode, but we didn't know or realize it until after it was recorded, and uh, yeah, so... Uh, please ignore that for this, at least for this episode, because it does not sound like that normally. And uh, hope you guys enjoy the episode. All right, Red Arms, give it your all. We will we'll drink go. the we'll wine, wine till the, to the is dry. And kiss the girls the cry. And toss the, the dice until we fly. And, two 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 with two to and to dance with Jack of the, the Shadows. shadows welcome back to another episode of Tales of a Red Arm. I'm one of your hosts, Justin.
1: And one the other one, James.
0: And this is an exciting episode due to the fact that we are finally starting the Great Hunt. And we are diving into the prologue. This is the part where you say, huzzah.
1: <laughs> Ooh, huzzah.
0: <laughs> there you go. <laughs> James, is, James is a little it bit is more excited than he gives away. Um, but... Yeah, so this is the uh, episode where we're going to cover the prologue and a little bit of the pre-prologue, which is, I'm looking forward to. Um, so, yeah, we are excited you guys came to join us. Um, we're going to go ahead and get started because there's not a whole lot of dialogue for most of this paralo- or prologue. Yeesh. And we just want to make sure that you guys can enjoy the going through discussion so we'll be taking a different route and actually just discussing a lot of things and then um well we will we'll, i'll do like a read through paraphrase like i normally do and then we'll stop at random points and just discuss what was been talked about already and see what our viewpoints might be about it so hope you guys have fun so we'll go ahead and dive into the beginning of the great hunt And it shall come to pass that what men made shall be shattered, and the shadow shall lie across the pattern of the age, and the dark one shall once more lay his hand upon the world of man. Women shall weep and men quail, as the nations of the earth are rent like a rotting cloth. Neither shall anything stand nor abide. Yet one shall be born to face the shadow. Born once more, as he was born before, and shall be born again, time without end. The dragon shall be reborn, and there shall be waiting and gnashing of teeth at his rebirth. In sackcloth and ashes shall he clothe the people, and he shall break the world again by his coming, tearing apart all ties that bind. Like the unfettered dawn shall he blind us and burn us, Yet shall the dragon reborn confront the shadow at the last battle, and his blood shall give us the light. Let tears flow, O ye people of the world. Weep for your salvation. From the Carathean Cycle, The Prophecies of the Dragon, as translated by Elaine Maricidin Alshin, Chief Librarian at the Court of Arafel, in the Year of Grace 231, of the New Era, the Third Age. So, from that wonderful prophecy, what did you think when you read that? Hoping you actually did read that <laughs> instead of skipping it.
1: Like I did accidentally skip it. Uh, yeah. just because yeah. I'm reading this on a new, uh, new, new format. So uh, actually, uh, literally right, right by that. Um,
0: well, you just heard it, so I mean, at least that should help.
1: Yeah. You. But well, like, no, no, I, I, specifically was not listening.
0: <laughs> I
1: figured. Yeah, the, know I, I remember that he, the first book started with um, texts similar, uh, from, um, no, oh. religious text, but like, um, prophetic. Yeah, prophetic, sort of text. It was uh, at the
0: end of the prologue, because it was a weird, it was a
1: weird setup. Yeah, for but, one. I mean, well, yeah, I mean, it kind of stuck struggling to remember, but, um. If I remember correctly enough, like one of them foresaw like the the dragon, like the re- okay, like they took opposite views. Like if the dragon returned, it would be a good thing versus if the dragon returned, it would be a bad thing. Whereas this is kind of middle of the road, I guess you could say.
0: They they see him as like he will be the destruction of mankind, but he will also be the redemption of mankind. Is is the kind of viewpoint that is taken from yeah, both it's... parties. Which is fair yeah. to some extent, I suppose.
1: Yeah, and yeah, just uh, just having my having it in my head just uh, the picture of Ryan, just uh, you know, the country pumpkin. just being like, oh, he he's, he's going to be the end of everything.
0: <laughs> I will end you, weeds. <laughs> he's a farmer, ah.
1: But yeah, I yeah. mean, we've the- we've. Fall upon your knees and weep for the dragon will return one day and bring great horror upon the world and smash cut to Ryan's just the uh, man handling a sheep.
0: <laughs> I'm just imagine him like snoozing like his head with his hat over his eyes and just <clears throat> with a little piece of like, you know, wheat sticking out of his mouth like the typical farmers <laughs> think. He's just sitting there snoring, so like weep for what you <laughs> what will happen in the future and it's just pan to the kid in the background is like, Oh, that person? That person? he's like drooling out the side of his mouth and everything (laughs) that would be entertaining to say the least completely not story related but would be entertaining but yeah this is basically telling us like oh this is gonna be a horrible incident to people and whatnot um weep for your salvation and it's just like well is it salvation or destruction you have to pick choose because you can't typically be both um but the other one, the other prophecy specifically mentioned things like, you know, is, is be the actual end of the world for mankind or whatnot. But I, I thought it was a very interesting intro. I love when they do these little prophecies of the dragon and stuff because they're little snippets and whatnot. And you have to remember that these prophecies are heavily what the actual. Like with the actual stories of all these countries and cities and towns and villages like a gleam and passing through spouting these off to the people in the inns and whatnot that's what they hear that's what they get their entertainment from so this is what they're hearing to you know put the kids in bed at night like well if you don't if you don't go to bed the dragon's going to get you kind of thing because they take bits of pieces from these stories and input them into their culture in the area even though it applies to everybody in every culture or in the area, um, they they will apply it however they want it to benefit them in their particular instance. But shall we move on to the prologue specifically, or do you have more to talk about that?
1: Well, it'll be like building on the what you just said. I do always find it here fun and interesting to sort of see how different cultures. sort of legends and stuff like that, Um, and also like legends that you like kind of can't can't even be agreed upon. If that makes sense, just from uh, like the different prophecies from the first book, Uh, there's kind of difference of opinion. There's
0: sometimes different prophecies from different people, but they all kind of hit the same topic. It's just how they are viewed and portrayed. There's going to be the main differences.
1: Yeah, I always find that interesting. uh, Within like as you're saying some of that. Just, just, just a random little thing. Okay,
0: Is that it.
1: Uh, yeah, that's that's pretty much it. Although I am just interested to see like what they're going to get horrifically wrong. It's just being like, just see the just see the description of uh, like what the dragon shall look like, and it looks nothing like Rand.
0: Well, everyone has their opinion on what the dragon's going to appear. Like, some think he's going to come like walking out of the clouds dressed in fire and, you know, some crazy out-of-the-way, like, thought process. And other people think, you know, he's just going to come out of nowhere, probably with an army. Um, you know, people, people don't expect him to come from what you would consider an insignificant background.
1: <laughs> so. Not exactly, not exactly a person from humble origins.
0: Yeah, that's not what they are going to expect him to be. Um, they just know that he's going to go mad because he's going to have the ability to wield the one power... And that's what they have to work with. It's like, oh, we need to stop him before he causes another breaking because of the taint and, you know, blah, 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 blah. So, anyway, we'll move on to the prologue. And so here we are. The prologue in the shadow. So, Great Hunt starts out, obviously, with the prophecies of the dragon, at least a portion of it. Um, and then we're moving into a perspective of, as it calls the man who called himself Bors so, I will refer to him as Bors, even though every time I do it's basically the man who called himself Bors is what's written instead so, um, Bors you refer to him as Bob Bob, Bob (laughs) so, um, Bors is kind of looking around his surroundings and it's this vaulted chamber and, you know, He's sneering at this quiet murmur around, and he's wearing a black silk mask covering his face, and everybody else, the hundreds of other faces in this chamber are also covered by black masks, um, and a hundred pair of eyes trying to see what else lays behind everybody. So everyone's trying to figure out who everybody is, but nobody knows who each other is because of the identity protection thing, or so, let's see. So...
1: It's like playing Guess Who. Just...
0: Yeah, basically, but with the mask, so you don't know specifically. Like You don't you don't find out who they are by looking at their face. You find out about looking at everything
1: else. Um, excuse, excuse me, are you Lady Blah Blah Blah? No. <laughs> no Somebody tells me you're lying to me. Oh, really? Well, <laughs> give it away.
0: <laughs> the fact that you're a mask. Um, so, it goes into a little bit of a description of the room, which isn't super hyper important, but it's a nice visual to help you understand things, I'm not going to call that, but Bors doesn't know where this chamber is. He just doesn't think that anybody else knows either. He just, he was summoned to this location, and the summons he didn't like the idea of how it happened and everything, but he showed up because of the type of summons. Um, And, you know, it's a little... It's a little bit of tension going on inside this area because, you know, he's wearing all black and he's trying to disguise his height and he's trying to confuse people whether he's thicker, or thinner or whatnot. Um, So he's he's getting really hot and he's glad that the fires aren't like super hot fires, which makes you imply it's probably like a supernatural fire or something used with the one power or something. You know, it's it's got a, a different source other than just a normal fire. And everybody else has their variety of wearing clothes and stuff, but um, he's just watching everybody else, and he's being very patient because most of his life he has had to work with patients and whatnot, wait for somebody else to make a mistake, and then he gets the upper hand on them. Which is very much a typical uh survival skill, I should say. Um so everyone here is probably having the same philosophy of you know watching and listening and waiting to speak, and others who couldn't who couldn't wait or be silent you know probably gave away more than they probably thought of. So they got servants coming in, slender, golden-haired youths, giving people offering wine to people and the bow and you know just a smile, not saying anything. And it was young men and women, and they had their own description of you know. Tight white breeches. Um, flowing white shirts. But they have this disturbing like grace. And Bors is offered a goblet, which he takes, but has no intention of drinking. And even though it, if he doesn't take it, it might appear he doesn't trust them. Um, or is unloyal or some other possibility. It just says or worse, but unloyal is always worse than untrusting. Um, but it could be deadly here if you you know, refuse altogether, but anybody could slip anything into a drink and you know, amongst his companions, he feels that they're not going to uh, miss anybody being dropped out of the race, so to speak. <laughs> and uh, limiting people who want power and whatnot.
1: Um, not, not to state the obvious, but everyone in here sounds very uh, untrustworthy here. <laughs>
0: just saying you don't say but then he starts thinking about like probably the servants will have to be disposed of after the meeting and everything because servants hear everything but when the serving girl straightens up and you know she has her sweet smile and everything but he looks at her eyes and they're just blank empty eyes like more dead than alive or more dead than death in this particular case but um, so he kind of like shivers because it's, it's creepy it's just absolutely creepy um, and she gracefully moves away, and you know he starts raising the goblet to his lips before he catches himself. And he's like, "Oh, it's not what the girl had done to her, or that really bothered him, but he thought he had detected a weakness in the person he served. But then he finds himself put in a more precarious position than he was before, and he'd always fallen this mantra of." search for weakness and every weakness has a chink and then he can probe and pry and influence it and, you know if somebody has a weakness you have a chance to overthrow them so his current masters is what he's thinking about working with but he's frowning behind his mask and he's looking at everybody else and there's plenty of weaknesses there's nervousness amongst the people um some are too stiff some are too jerky um some who are guarding their tongues were still giving away other things and about a quarter of them, so probably roughly around 25 or so, I didn't even bother with the disguise beyond the black masks, you know. You got a woman standing with a golden crimson, or before a golden crimson wall hanging, speaking softly to a figure, impossible to say if it's a man or a woman, cloaked and hooded in gray. She'd chosen the spot because of the colors of the tapestry set off her garb, which is attention drawing, and that's a really, really dumb thing to do if you're trying to hide. And she's wearing a scarlet dress cut low the bodice to show too much flesh, and You know, high at the hem, display golden slippers, marked her from Ilion, and a woman of wealth, perhaps even noble blood. Okay. Then you have that Ilioner. There's another woman by herself and quiet. But she has a swan's neck, lustrous black hair, goes down below the waist, um, has her back to the stone wall, observing everybody. No nervousness, but serene self-possession. Very admirable to Boers, however, her coppery skin, creamy high neck gown, leaving nothing but her hands uncovered, um, clinging and only barely opaque so that it hinted everything and revealed nothing, marked her that she's of the first blood of Arad Daman. And unless the man who, unless Boers guessed completely wrong, the wide golden bracelet on her left wrist has her, her house symbol and it would be her own house because no Demani Bloodborne would you know, snap their pride in half to wear the sigils of another house. So it was a really stupid idea on her part to make that mistake. But aside from that, she probably thinks that she's fine. Um, but her appearance narrows down greatly on who it could possibly be in the demani door. Uh, then we have this guy in a sky-blue Shinaran coat, passing with a wary head-to-toe glance through eye holes, and how he holds himself, names him a soldier. The set of his shoulders, the way his gaze never rested in one place for too long, and his hand seems to be ready to dart for a sword that's not there. And the Shinaran's wasted little time on bores and you know, stooped shoulders and bent back, held no threat. Um, so Boris is basically like faking his height and his stature, everything in order to be forgotten or forgettable. Yeah. Um, so he's looking around and like, he can tell basically their class in their country, merchant or warrior, common or noble. If they're from Kandor, Kyrie and Saldea, Gildon, um, every nation, every people, and he wrinkles his nose in disgust because there's even a tinker here in bright green breeches and a virulent yellow coat. It's like, well, we can do without those come the day. Day being capitalized. Um, the disguised ones were no better. Most were cloaked and shrouded as they were, but under the edge of one dark robe is the silverwork boots of a high lord of Tyr. Then he got a Glimpse of a golden lion head spurs worn by the high officers of the Enten Queen Guard. Um, Slender fellow, you know, dragging his black robes with an anonymous grave cloak caught with a plain silver pin, checking from the depth depth of his cowl. He could be anyone from anywhere, except for the six-pointed star tattoo on the cowl between the thumb and the forefinger on his right hand. One of the sea folk. So... You could probably find his other hand and show the marks of his clan in line but boar doesn't even bother it's just it, it's obvious what's going on um but then he basically focuses on a woman who is completely clothed in black nothing showing but her fingers and she has a gold ring in the shape of a serpent eating its own tail It's not Aes Sedai, or at least someone trained in Tarvalin by Aes Sedai. No one else would wear that ring. But it didn't make a difference to him. He looked away before she even noticed he was watching her, and basically spotted another woman wearing a great serpent ring. And they didn't show any knowledge that they knew each other, and it's just the way the White Tower works, where they pull the strings of kings and queens and make them dance, and they bother everything in the nations and whatnot. And, you know, he's obviously not... Boris isn't happy with this and he you know, curses them. But he grinds his teeth together and he's like, well, if they, if the numbers must dwindle, and before the day they have to, um, there would be some who would be missed even less than Tinkers. So, Boris does not care highly for the, as he would call them, the witches. Um, but then there's a chime that sounds and everything else just stops. It's just pure quiet but before we go any further. I would probably say, what do you think about these descriptions? Do, do they stand out to you or anything?
1: Oh, actually like this entire section, I really do enjoy just because he like you do. Well, everyone, everyone here is, uh, incredibly guarded and, uh, clandestine. But yet, um, I know it's 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 interesting to see you almost see kind of uh Sherlock Holmes level of uh detail detail and you're sort of like kind of spotting it and being like ah oh, you know this this particular mark who marks this person as such and such and I just I just always find that very interesting and also it's a it's a very nice way to sort of show that to the reader as a very natural uh way of here saying hey these people from here dress like that and yeah, that's always interesting.
0: Well, the funny part is, is that even through all this, through through Boar's description of other people, it kind of tells you a bit about Boar's. Like yes. Boar's has well traveled to know a lot of these different worlds that are around from different cultures, different nations. Um, he can tell. A nobleman or noblewoman by looking at them, you can tell, even when they're coated and stuff, like how they carry themselves. Well, that's a shul- soldier. Like it's a person who is well traveled. But there's also more things which I'm not going to go into because I want you guys to figure it out because it's fun to figure it out. But you can kind of get an idea <laughs> of who Bors is based off of his description. And there might be more of that here soon, but um, I'll, I'll leave that to you guys to figure it out. Um, was there anything else you wanted to? talk
1: about like any of these particular individuals or you could. Yeah. Well, um, I don't, I don't, I'm, trying, I'm just trying to think here at the moment whether or not uh, certain details have been revealed yet. But uh, I do find it okay. like when I was reading through it, I did find it uh, interesting as the, like, the sort of like the sort of moment of uh, the plot plot thickens so. the plot yes, thickens. be feeling like just just when it like it was like oh there's an nice die here it's like oh okay
0: <laughs> oh look another one <laughs> or at least someone trained at the tower I mean it can be yeah. an I sorry
1: some something, something like that here that, that, that sort of just um, sort of made me just really think you like ooh, What actually is this he what, what's actually going on <laughs>
0: intriguing
1: yeah.
0: are you so, saying there's plot intrigue in this book series why well, yes yes I am. <laughs>
1: So
0: So that chime sounds, and it's a single note, and everybody else stops talking. Everything just stops, pure silent. And then on the far end of the chamber, a door opens, and two Trollocs step into the room, you know, blackmail, hung into their knees, and everyone backs away, including Boars. Um, Their head and shoulders taller than the tallest person there, and they're, you know, a stomach-turning blend of man and animal, human faces twisted and altered, and they have, you know, one of them has a heavy pointed beak where his mouth and nose should have been, feathers covered his head instead of hair. Um, the other one walks on hooves, and his face pushes out a hairy muzzle with goat horns sticking up above his ears. the trollocs ignore everybody and turn back to the door and bow kind of cringing in servitude and even the one with the feathers lifts into a little tight crest then a murdral steps in between them and they fall to the ground and it's garbed in black that made the trollocs male and human's mass seem bright in garments that still hung so it's like it's that super hyper black that you just it's almost like a black hole where it swallows all other colors because it's just it's so dark
1: I'm currently by myself just because I know, I know the name of the material. That's just like that, but it's completely left, left my mind right now. Like dark matter? <laughs> no, no, there's like there's a special kind of uh, black that literally like absorbs light, and um, it, it it's it's very surreal to like watch, and sort of see. But oh, if, if people can look up, look that up if they're interested. Interesting.
0: So then Bors, you know, has his lips drawing back over his teeth and he kind of like, he's got kind of a snarl and a bit of shame knowing that he has some fear in there as well. So snarl and fear. Um, So this Merjol doesn't have its face covered and it's got an eyeless, egg-like head face, but it's like a maggot in the grave. It's very un settling um, so the Merger all swivels around looking at everybody kind of checking everything out and everything and then the bloodless lips kind of quirk into a bit of a smile and then everyone's trying to push away from that gaze and then he kind of just like looks and forces everyone into it like a semicircle facing the door and then Boar swallows and he's, he's like in his head he's thinking you know eventually half men, when the great lord of the dark comes again he'll choose his new dreadlords and you'll cower before them you'll cower before men before me and he's like why doesn't he speak stop sparing at me and speak and then the murdral has like a raspy dry snake skin crumbling voice saying your master comes to your belly's worms gravel lest his brilliance blind and burn you so bors gets really upset and just filled with rage and not only just at the tone, but at the words as well. But then, above the half-man, the air shimmered, and how important this is happening completely just, like, smacks Bors in the head. It's like, it can't be. There's no way. And the Trollocs were already on their bellies writhing as they wanted to burrow into the floor. And without seeing if anybody else is moving, Bores dropped to the face down and basically bruised himself on the stone. And in his head he has like this little charm that he's, he's speaking in his head and a whole bunch of people speaking basically the same thing you know the great lord of the dark is my master and most heartily do i serve him to the last root of my very soul and in the back of his mind it's you know the dark one and all the forsaken are bound and he's like no 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 i i no longer serve the light He's like lo my master is death's master asking nothing do i serve against the day of his coming Yet do I serve in the sure and certain hopes of a life everlasting. And then he continues the other mantra in his head, bound in Sheol ghoul, bound by the creator at the moment of creation. And he's like, no, 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 I serve a different master. And then he finishes up with, surely the faithful shall be exalted in the land, exalted above the unbelievers, exalted above thrones. Yet do I serve humbly against the day of his return? And then he goes, the hand of the creator shelters us all, and the light protects us from the shadows. And he's like, no, no, no. And he you knows really he's he has an inner like tug back and forth and he's like swift becomes the day return swift comes the great lord of the dark to guide us and rule the world forever and ever and then Boris finishes the creed and he's like panting he's it's like he had just run a a race and everybody around him also had that kind of rasping voice so he's not the only person who's kind of embarrassing himself um And then he hears, rise, all of you rise. And this voice comes out of nowhere and it catches him off guard. And everyone, you know, on their bellies on the ground, nobody would have said anything. So he looks up at his head just enough to see with one eye. And there's a figure of a man floating in the air above the Mergerall. And he's got blood red uh, robes hanging about a span over the Mergerall's head. And it's just blood red. Uh, it's like what would the great lord of the dark appear to them as a man or masked on top of that but the merge its very gaze fear trembled and almost cowered before the figure shadow and Boris is like uh it's probably one of the forsaken then but it was a little bit less painful than the dark one but that means that the day of the dark one's return is getting close if the forsaken were free and the Forsaken—we're getting a kind of a recap—is the thirteen of the most powerful wielders of the One Power in an age filled with powerful wielders, and had been sealed up in ghoul along with the Dark One, sealed away from the world of men by the Dragon and the Hundred Companions. And the black blast—or the back blast of that sealing—had tainted the male half of the True Source, and all male to die. Those cursed wielders of the power went mad and broke the world, tore it apart like pottery bowls smashing on rocks. And in the Age of Legends, before they died rotting while they still lived, a fitting death for Aes Sedai, in his mind, too good for them, he regretted only that the women had been spared. Now before we go on, what do you think about that part? In terms of, like, everything since the previous time?
1: Well, this is actually something that I was picking up on, that, um, this obviously was, like, a recap, but, by, like, the manner in which he, like, it's explaining things, uh, I guess maybe like a newcomer could, like a person like picking up the book for the first time, could maybe understand some of the events going on. I don't know, I've, I've kind of noticed this there's like a few uh, books that I've read previously. I don't know. They, they, they kind of do like kind of similar things. Uh, when you're like, uh, with like subsequent books in the series. So. But as for like the actual contents of, sorry, that that's it, like a complete aside. But <laughs> for the actual contents, I find it interesting that see, there's kind of a natural resistance to like following the Dark One. That it's kind of like an innate sort of.
0: Well, before you I, I before you join the Dark One, the mantra of you know the dark one and his followers are bound in shale ghoul like that whole mantra yeah. that's something that you held to but then when you switch sides that's what you knew and now you have a new mantra and that's what he was saying earlier as his mantra as his current master and everything so he's remembering the old stuff to counter his his current one but he still is resisting it but that's the, what he knows and we heard it several times in the uh, first book, in The Eye of the World. So it's not like it's a new concept either.
1: No, I, I just find it, um, found it interesting that, you know, there's a kind of like a pullback to the light, as it were. or um,
0: I would call it a somewhere. struggle.
1: Yeah, that's the, kind of a struggle. Going on and also, I found it interesting. Um, when uh, figure like okay, well, first of all, I can see, like The I guess you like the interpretation that um, uh, Boards sees himself better than like the merger role, and it's sort of just you like,
0: well, everyone in the room's here for power,
1: yeah, that's, that's the, the that's the other thing. Is he like. If, if I, I think that he like my sense of self and uh, sort of um, sensibilities would kind of stop me from thinking I'm better than a Merdral, because I I don't think I could take a Merdral in a fight. Just saying, so, I think you have to be mighty confident to think you think yourself better than that.
0: Well, that's in a fight, but remember that the person above the Merdral right now does not have to fight the Merdral. The cow or the Merdral. So it's not, about, it's not a matter about fighting. It's a matter of who's going to be in charge. And right now, the Merdral is above everyone in the room. And then this robed figure shows up, and now that person is the one in charge of the whole room. So before the robe person comes in, everyone saw the Merdral and says, well, they're just a grunt for the Dark One, even though the tropes are technically the grunts, they're just someone beneath the dark one that does their bidding. And one day I will be above them kind of thing. Like that's, that's that power dynamic that they're trying to take advantage of. They're trying to be like, Hey, um, I'm going to one day be greater than this person. And that's a thought process, not necessarily true. Um, depending on how people get to where they get and what they think is going to happen. But that's the thought process. So, yeah, um, we'll get back to it. And basically, you know, he's on the ability. Nobody had risen. And only a couple people even raised their heads. And then the rogue figure, you know, yells, rise and stand. And he, you know, gestures with his hands. And Boris gets about halfway up very awkwardly. And he realizes the hands are horribly burned. And they have crisscross of black and raw flesh as red as the the robe person's robes. And he's thinking like would the dark one appear so? Or even one of the forsaken? And then he looks at the eye holes of the blood red mask and he straightened hastily. He thought he could feel the heat of an open furnace in that gaze. And then everybody else commands but not with any more grace or anything else. And they plenty of fear, and they get on their feet, and the robed figure speaks to them. He's like, I have been known by many names, but the one by which you shall know me is Baalzaman. And then Bors, you know, clamps his teeth shut to keep him from chattering because in the Trolloc tongue, Baalzaman means heart of the dark. And even unbelievers knew it was the Trolloc name for the great lord of the dark. Um, he, He whose name must not be uttered, not the true name, Shaitan, but still forbidden. Among those gathered here, and others of their kind, to solely either with a human tongue was blasphemy. Um, so he breathed, you know, there's nostrils, and all around him, everyone else is panting around their masks. And the servants are gone. The Trollocs are leaving, or left as well, but he hadn't seen them, you know, leave. But he's like, the place where you stand is lying in the shadow of Sheol Ghul. And several people moaned at that idea. Um, Bors wasn't sure whether he did or not. Um, There might be a little bit of mockery in Boseman's voice, and he's like, Fear not, for the day of your master's rising upon the world is near at hand. The day of return draws nigh. Does it not tell you that I am here to be seen by you favored few among your brothers and sisters? Soon the wheel of time will be broken. Soon the great serpent will die, and with the power of... that death and the death of time itself your master will remake the world in his own image for this age and all ages to come and those who serve me faithful and steadfast will set my feet above the stars of the sky and rule the world of men forever so have i promised and so shall it be without end you shall live and rule forever and then in a bunch of anticipation you know all the people listening are like oh this is really cool some people step forward you know now we just went from like this is a terrifying situation to i like what he's saying
1: <laughs> Um I don't know about you, but the Spanish talk a whole lot of sense.
0: I can hear the gold clinking. Um, and Bors even feels a bit of pull from that promise, and he's like, That's the reason I, I that's I sold my soul a hundred times over for that kind of promise. And Balsamon continues about the day of return coming closer and much much to do. And then there is a little pocket of air to balzaman's left that shimmers and thickens into the figure of a young man and a little bit lower than balzaman and boris couldn't tell whether it's living or not it's just a country lad in his clothes um with a bit of mischief in his brown eyes and a hint of a smile on his lips and like he's remembering or anticipating a prank of some sort the face the flesh looked warm but the chest didn't move with breath and the eyes didn't blink. so it's basically like a bona fide miniature or clay figure of an actual living being but with like hyper realism it's not real but it appears real it's like a still shot of something in 3d but then to the right of balzaman there's a second country clad a little bit below equally on the other one and it's a curly haired youth very muscled like a blacksmith but with an oddity of having a battle axe on his side and it's a steel half moon blade balanced by a thick spike and then of suddenly leaned forward even more intent on it. It, it. The youth had yellow eyes. I think everyone knows where this is going. <laughs> at this point, if you pay attention at all in the first book, you know. So now there's a third image that solidifies into the shape of a young man. This one directly under Baal's eye, almost at his feet. And it's a tall fellow with eyes that are now gray, almost blue as the light took them dark reddish hair and then basically another villager farmer and boars gasps like it's out of the ordinary He would expect anything out of the ordinary and there's a sword hanging from the figure's belt with a bronze heron on the scabbard and another inset on the two-handed hill a village boy with the heron marked blade and he's thinking impossible like what could that mean and a boy with yellow eyes like he's completely just completely not sure what's going on. The Merger all's, he catches the merger all looking at the figures and trembling, but he's like, well, it looks like he's trembling out of hatred, not fear. And it had been completely silent. And then Baalziman just kept letting the silence deepen. And he's like, There's one who walks the world, one who was and will be, but is not yet the dragon. And obviously the people in the room were a bit startled by this. And then the Shinaran speaks up. It's like the Dragon Reborn. Are we are to kill him, Great Lord? And, you know, he's trying to grasp for a sword that isn't there. And was like, maybe, maybe not. Maybe he can return to my use sooner or later. It will be so in this age or another. And then Boris is like, in this age or another? I thought the Day of Return was near. <laughs> What's going on? There's logical issues here. I don't care what happens to another age if I grow old and die waiting for this one. And um, Balsamon starts speaking again. He's like, already a bend is forming in the pattern. One of many points that he who will become the dragon may be turned to my service. Must be turned. Better that he serve me alive than dead. But alive or dead, serve me he must and will. These three you must know for each one is a thread in the pattern I mean to weave and it will be up to you to see that they are placed as I command. Study them well and know them well. Now, of that part, what do you think?
1: See, I wasn't entirely sure only like uh, when the events of, the, of like, this meeting were taking place like uh, compared to like, the rest of the story and, should be told, I'm still not entirely clear. I mean... I would say that he like this is he, like kind of post events or like during the events of the first book because of Perrin's uh, yellow yellow eyes.
0: Um, it would have been after he got yellow eyes for sure.
1: Yeah.
0: Um, so Matt his, his appearance would be a questionable thing. So it's probably after Matt gets healed. Which means it could be any point in time, technically well, after they leave Keemlin. That's
1: that's appearance is kind of it, it could be from any anywhere. Like it could be literally from like the day he was about to stuff the badger in the flower sack or whatever it was.
0: It could be, but because all of the other because the other appearances, like the sword on Rand's hip, Perrin with his yeah. axe, all that stuff yeah. happened after they left. Like This is an images from that point. So it could be. I am more likely to think it happens after the Eye of the World ends. That's my particular position because of other things that are also involved with this. But we haven't got there yet. But that is my particular opinion so um having these three boys put in front of them and like learning them and all that stuff um bores you know shifts uneasily and everybody else is but the eleanor woman is you know has her hands spread over her bosom to hide the rounded flesh allegedly and she's got this half frightened half ecstatic look and she's nodding to someone like she's being talked to or something but she seems to give a reply but didn't there was no word that come out and then she arches backwards and trembles on her toes and he can't tell why she's not following falling and stuff and then she settles back to her feet and then she nods and then she bows and then all of a sudden one of the women with the great serpent ring has the same thing and starts nodding as well and he's just like huh so each of us hears their own instructions and no one hears another. And Bors is kind of frustrated by this. Um, if he knew about any of the other people in the room and what they were commanded, he might be able to use that to his advantage. But in this way, he's got to wait. And he forgets himself but st- and stands up straight, so he's not slouched like he was. And then, little by little, everyone in the gathering is getting their orders and stuff. Um, the Mier, the Folk stiffened with reluctance nodded that Sharnar in his stance be speaking confusion while he acquiesced um the other woman from Tarvalin giving a, a start and then somebody else shaking his head before falling to his knees and nodding vigor- vigorously like everyone's kind of doing the convulsions occasionally and all these different things and all of a sudden he hears Bors and then Bors jerks up and then has a red mask filling his eyes and he can still see the room and the floating shape of Balsamon, but it, all he could really see was the red mask face. And he's, like, uh, getting overwhelmed by this feeling. And he's he thinks he can see flames in the eye holes of the mask. And then the question is asked, are you faithful, Bors? And there's a bit of mockery, because it's like he knows that's not his name. And he's like, I am faithful, Great Lord. I cannot hide from you. And he's like, I am faithful in his mind. I'm, I can swear on it. And he's like, no, you can't. And then the certainty that Balzaman's saying to him, like, freaks him out. But he, he you know, speaks, he's like, hey, command me, great lord, and I obey. He's like, well, you're to return to Terabon and continue your <clears throat> good works. <laughs> In fact, I command you to redouble your efforts. You know? And Bal- Balzaman gets, you know, this look at, by, from Bors, and Bors is, like, confused. And he's like, but what? Okay, if that's it. And he's like, second, you will watch for the three young men and have your followers watch. They are dangerous, so be warned. He's like, looking at those figures again, Boris is like, how am I supposed to do that? I can see them, and I, but I can't see anything except his face, <laughs> aka Balsamon's. And he's like, how are farm boys dangerous? Is one of them, like, he's about to say, is one of them the, the dragon? He's like, you know, the sword is dangerous to the man on the point, but not to the man on the hilt, unless the man holding the sword is a fool, or careless or unskilled, in which is twice as dangerous to him as anyone else. It is enough that I have told you to know them, it is enough that you obey. He's like, as you command, Great Lord, so shall it be. Um, then, he's like, regarding those who have landed at Toman Head in the Demani. Of this you will speak to nobody, and then when you return to Terabon, and then Boris is like listening, and his, you know, the instructions make no sense. He's like, well, if I knew what other people were being told, maybe I could piece it together. So he's, he's completely flabbergasted about what's going on. Um, and then he felt his head grasped by like a giant hand crushing his temples. And he felt like he was being lifted. And this is a very detailed thing. So I'm going to leave it alone (laughs) because you can read Mm -hmm. it on your own, but it's a very detailed experience. He feels, um, and he's thinking about like, a woman, dressed in white, receding into the blackness and vanishing as soon as she appeared. Ravens turned him with an eye, knowing him and then disappearing. A whole bunch of things are happening, and then it's just going on and on and on, and he's not really sure what's going on. But then Boris finds himself half-crouched in the chamber with others. Um, a lot of people watching him, all quiet. And whenever he looked up or down any direction, Balzaman was still overwhelming him. So, all these images that faded into his mind were kind of like they're being melded into his mind and his memory but they're also kind of partially gone from his memory and he starts to ask like great lord what and then Malzaman's like some commands are too important to be known even by he who carries them out and then Bors pretty much bends double in his bow and he's like as you command so shall it be um and then he straightens he's alone in silence and the tyrant lord nodded and bowed to someone no else it's, it's all and you know he, it's repeating this process over and over and over again and he's like there was something but what was it wasn't there something so he feels like he's beginning to sweat and then he turns back to these three youths that are floating in the air he's got this muscular, curly-haired youth, the farmer with a sword and the lad with the look of mischief on his face. Pretty easy to guess who that is. Um, but he's in his mind, he's like blacksmith, swordsman, and trickster. That's how he's going to identify them. He's like, but what's their place in this puzzle? What what will bring the Day of the Return um, to bear, if you will? Um but he didn't make them center of the gathering. Otherwise it would not be important. So we have these three boys being the center of attention, aside from Baalzamon himself. So it's definitely um, it's 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 definitely a important event, I guess, would be the easiest way to say it um and he's kind of thinking to himself and whatever and you know he's looking at these different things trying to figure out like where are they from you know what what about this what about that um and we're learning like you know blue eyes could mean nobility of andor but not probably in this clothes and there's borderlanders with light eyes as well as some tyrants not to mention some guild on so he's like i don't know but yellow eyes where are yellow eyes from So he's looking at Rand's eyes and he's like, Well here's some places that blue eyes would be normal. And then here's some places that yellow eyes? Nope, none of there. Where would yellow eyes come from? Um anything about what we just went over?
1: I actually really love just the the way that he like the Dark One goes around instructing his followers. Just the whole thing of like only imparting to, like, select individuals you're, like, the parcels of information that only they know about. Like, I, I, I just really like the way that he, like, is presented. But I also like more that there's... I the kind of, like, evil subtlety of the Betty that he imparts information that even you don't know about to you. Just because he, like, the nature of the information would be compromising, and I, don't know, I just I just feel like that because like that's a, like very unsettling. Just the idea of the, like thoughts and ideas just like, like being implanted into your head without you being conscious truly of them.
0: Yeah, and the fact that everyone's getting their instructions individually.
1: <laughs> yeah,
0: meaning that even though like. But he could cross reference them and whatnot. There's a ginormous, elaborate scheme at play. But he's frustrated. Boris is frustrated because he doesn't know what that play is.
1: You also find that funny.
0: Yeah. It's frustrating to him, but it's humorous to us because it's like, well, yeah. But at the same time, if he knows what other people are doing, that means he can hunt them down, remove them, and it eliminates his competition but that's also under his impression that he will survive whatever comes his way. But it's also safe for him that nobody else hears anything else from anybody else, because that means they could also figure out where he is and remove him. So it's, it goes a little bit from every direction.
1: Yeah. It's just, uh, just everything's a competition.
0: Well, when you're a dark friend, sure it is. Yeah. Everybody wants to be top dog. So, the only way to be top dog is to have nobody else to be top dog instead of you. So, um, somebody touches him on his arm and he kind of like swivels over and there's a young man sitting there and you know, Balazamon's gone, the all has gone and the door th- had been um and now three figures are still hanging there but you know it's like they're staring at him he's like well my lord bors i'll show you to your room and he doesn't want to look at the dead eyes and the guy <laughs> who's touched his arm but he looks back at the three figures and then you know uneasily moves towards the where the youth is taking him and he's like how does the youth know what his name was and you know you go a little bit further and then he finds out he's in a corridor by, by himself with the or by himself with just the servant and before he could really say anything the servant says like the others are shown to their rooms my lord if you please my lord time is short and the master is impatient um so boris ground his teeth because of lack of information and the implication of some like this servant who's you know dead in their eyes is on the sameness as himself but he follows him and stays quiet and, and only a fool ranted at a servant and worse remembering that fellow's eyes he was not sure it would do any good um and he's like i don't know what i was going to ask the servant smiled so then we get you know bors not feeling comfortable at all and he's back in the room where he waited on the first arrival and then eventually uh, finding the seals on the saddlebag untouched he you know it's like okay no one went through my stuff Uh, A servant stood in the hallway, not entering. He's like, you may change to your own garments if you wish, my lord. No one will see you depart here, nor arrive at your destination, but it would be best to arrive already properly clothed. Someone will come to show you the way. He's like, well, untouched by any invisible hand, or any visible hand, the door swings closed. So then Boris is like, oh, like he's shivering. He's like, this is not my ideal situation. So he undoes the seals of his buckles and everything in the saddlebags and pulls out his usual cloak and back of his mind he's thinking you know like that small voice that wondered promised promise power immortality or anything was worth another meeting like this uh but he laughed he's like ha for that much power i would praise the great lord of the dark under the dome of truth um and then he remembers the specific commands he has uh by baal zaman and he figures the golden flared sun worked on the breast of the white cloak and the red shepherd's crook behind the sun, symbol of his office in the world of men, and yet laugh, there is great work to be done in Terabon and Almouth Plain. I wonder who he might be!
1: <laughs> dun dun, dun. Um,
0: And the Dome of Truth, if everyone's not aware, is a... Uh...
1: nah I do really come okay. that yet. the
0: Dome of Truth is a building that is very important to the White Cloaks it would be essentially like a courthouse if you will so it's a very important White Cloak building and as you can tell it's a giant dome um, But
1: I thought it was like a giant cathedral but...
0: I mean cathedrals have domes so there you go
1: Uh, once again destroyed by attack. effects on logic
0: (laughs) what can I say I like destroying things (laughs) but yeah uh, what did you think about that stuff
1: very great introduction Uh, I'm interested to see where things go on from here
0: do you have any idea who Bors is Uh, I'm
1: trying to remember what his name was Bornhold Dane Bornhold I'm also, one of the tables here, the name of the, the person here that Rand and Matt encountered in, um, I'm trying to remember now. Was it Berlin? Yeah. They didn't
0: did have na- th- I don't think they had names, did they? They were just I like, close.
1: I'm, trying, I'm trying to remember, I think, I, I'm, I'm misremembering, but, uh, I don't know. The, the, it might have been one. Dane's. Two, two it named... might have been
0: Dane's son. I can't remember off the top of my head. I'd have to go back and look at it specifically. But yeah. it, it might have been well, Dane's really son, there's... or it was uh, just random white cloaks.
1: Well, there's there's a two named white cloaks I can think of at the moment. Andy, that was Bornhold and you just the mentioned that one...
0: was the captain. So I think that was it.
1: Yeah. Well, the other one's uh, just... Bayar. Yeah, no, okay, I was trying to remember his name just for the sake of it.
0: Child Childbyar. Well, remember this one Freakiest has the, alive. this one has the red shepherd crook on it. Which is a different stat- status. Okay. But so what did you think you thought overall it was a very interesting introduction to the Great Hunt?
1: Yep. Uh well. Well it's it's piqued my interest. And I think that's uh, the most desirable thing for uh <laughs> first time like... reader. Your...
0: <laughs> yeah. It's like you're keeping my you're keeping my interest. That's that's good. That's good. Let's keep yeah. it up.
1: instead sort of just making me bored and uh make me, make me want to cry. <laughs> but...
0: <laughs> yeah, you'd cry anyway.
1: For di- for very different reasons, but <laughs> not all untrue.
0: Well, do you have anything else? Crippling or...
1: depression will do that to you. <laughs> just saying.
0: <laughs> do you have anything else you wanted to talk about, or do you think we want to wrap it up?
1: Uh, no, we got very little else to offer right now, aside from just the obvious of uh, I look forward to seeing where this goes.
0: Yeah, it'll, it'll definitely be interesting. Um, So do you want to go ahead and chill, or do you want me to chill?
1: I guess you can chill, because uh, it's been a while
0: i'll remind you this is how it's done <laughs> um but yeah thanks everybody for hanging out with us um i know this prologues aren't always the most exciting but hopefully this one was at least a little bit exciting and intriguing and whatnot um i know it was for james and it was for me when i first read it too but i do want to thank you for hanging out with us again um i hope you guys will join us for the next episode and reading a chapter one of the great hunt um But if you guys would like to reach out to us and chat with us, talk with us, comment, give us questions, whatever you'd like, um, you can reach us at talesofaredarm at gmail.com, or you can reach out to us um, on Facebook, which is our Facebook page, just Tales of a Red Arm. Um, Also, you can reach us on Twitter, at Tales of a Red Arm. And... You can DM us directly in any of those formats and we will be more than happy to talk to you. Um, Or you can post your questions public or something and we can interact with you there. But if you have a question that you'd like to hear on the uh, show or something, just give us a direct message and we can bring it up and see what happens. But we'll try to keep it to whatever episode we are on or back. We don't want to answer questions first like three or four books down the line we want to keep up with where we're at but um yeah if you guys are interested in that that'd be great we also have recently gotten a uh discord channel server um so if you'd like to join us there and you know to chat with us on a day-to-day basis or chat with other people about possible things that you think might happen in the story or whatever we can do that and um that server information is on our facebook page as well as our twitter page Um, you can also directly email us or whatever and we'll you know get a link for you and send it to you however you want to and uh we'd love to have you join us there and maybe we'll have special events in discord channel that we won't have anywhere else or something but um hopefully you guys will come hang out with us we'd really love to have you um so I guess we'll go ahead and close up here. And once again, thanks for hanging out with us. And we'll look forward to seeing you guys at the next episode.
1: Until then. We drink all night and dance all day. And on the girls will send our
0: pay. And when we're done, then we'll await the dance with Jack of the Shadows. We'll, we'll toss the, the, dice the dice however they fall, and we'll snuggle, snuggle the girls, be they shot or tall, then follow the young Matt wherever he calls, to we'll dance with Jack of the Shadows. We'll toss the, toss the dice however they fall, and snuggle the girls, be they short we'll or tall, then follow Lord Matt wherever he calls, he calls. To, to dance with Jack of the Shadows. We'll We'll give, give a, a yo with a bloody curse, curse and hug the maids that could be worse. We'll yeah. run away with the dark ones first. We'll dance with Jack of the down. shadows.
1: Yeah. 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 Yeah.